In this podcast, Gerard McKeevely, the head of discipline at the Rugby Football Union, speaks to Lawn Sport CEO Sean Cottrell from Twickenham Stadium about the process and rules relating to the RFU on-field disciplinary decisions, how siding commissioners work and how they are appointed, how the RFU disciplinary panel operates, and how members are selected. While this interview will be of interest to anyone with a general interest in the rugby union, it will also particularly be useful for those working in sports dispute resolution. I hope you enjoy the show. So I'm overlooking the pitch at Twickenham on a mild afternoon, I think. Earlier today, you showed me around and we just yeah, to get to know how the, an organisation like the RFU dealing with thousands of matches every weekend, how you handle on the field misconduct and disciplinary matters. Can you tell me how you, you even start to deal with these issues? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll sort of try and simplify if I can. We, we are, we're a union of 2,000 clubs, so it's a pretty, pretty big organisation. And uh, obviously, as you've said, based on the 2,000 clubs, we've got thousands upon thousands of matches that are sort of happening every weekend. So we tend to have a pretty sort of defined um, disciplinary process to deal with sort of any on-field and sort of off-field sort of disciplinary issues that arise sort of from matches. So what we tend to do is we, we have a structure where clubs are divided into 1 to 12 levels, and the RFU... Um, national panel sort of looks after levels sort of one to four and we delegate disciplinary powers to our constituent bodies and there's 35 of those constituent bodies and they will look after games that are played at levels sort of five to twelve and there are, there are cer- certain sort of exemptions from that where we don't sort of delegate disciplinary powers where for instance you're dealing with sort of safeguarding matters or sort of anti-doping um, or you have very serious injury cases or, or, or you know, the odd case, and it does happen from time to time where the police may be involved for whatever reason. So um, we will tend to deal with those at sort of national panel level. Um, and then our counties will deal with the, um, the levels 5 to 12, and then any appeals that are coming in from the counties will come into the sort of national sort of disciplinary sort of panel. So that, that tends to be how the sort of system is structured. So on a match weekend in the top tier yep. of rugby on the day of the game what happens from you know it starts then I believe earlier you told me that there's a sighting commissioner correct that sighting commissioner is integral with with the other officials yep. officiating the match can you tell me what their role is on the day and from this this say give a scenario where there's a match in that match is an instance it may be um, an incident and it may be a red card incident, what happens, what's the role of the sighting commissioner, and then um, what's know, the process? Yeah, what's yeah. the process? Okay, so if we take a sort of, say, an elite level game, at level one, which you say the sort of premiership, um, obviously you have your sort of team of normal sort of on-field match officials, your referee, your sort of assistant referees, um, and you also will have, if it's a televised um, sort of game, you have your television sort of match official, uh, and you'll also have your sighting commissioner. Uh, we have 19 sighting commissioners on our panel in the RFU sort of discipline team, and um, one of those will be appointed to attend at the game in person, 
and they have 24 hours to uh, review. So they go to the game, they'll take notes through the game, and they'll flag up any issues that they want to have a look at. Um, after the match, and they go down to the, the broadcast truck and have a look at any incidents in sort of more detail that they want to have a look at. They have 24 hours to determine whether or not any offence should be either cited, a full citing, i.e. they take the view that the offence is so serious that it's passed the red card test um, and should be treated as such, or a level one citing or a citing commissioner warning, as it's also known, which is effectively, uh, again, a serious act of foul play, but in the citing commissioner's sort of assessment hasn't quite reached the threshold of a sort of red card, but still should be brought to the player's attention. And in effect, if that happens, it's treated as though it was a sort of off-field sort of yellow card. So taking a sort of a premiership game where, let's say, there's a red card, that's probably the most sort of easy, I suppose, scenario. Um, we will obviously be aware of it very early on, um, and we will obtain the referee's um, red card report in relation to the incident, we will obtain the uh, sort of match footage. We will issue a charge. So we will prepare a uh, hearing bundle over that weekend. It will be issued to the um, the players, the player, and the players' club uh, on either Sunday or Monday. We will um, ensure that we've got all of the clips of the incident all ready to go, and that's also sent over as part of the sort of hearing process. We will look to um, obtain any medical information so as, to, as regards injury, etc., um, and any other information that either club wishes to put into the hearing bundle for the purposes of the disciplinary panel hearing. Um, because the player is provisionally suspended and cannot play any rugby at all until anywhere in the world until his disciplinary case is concluded, we get the hearings on very quickly. They're usually Tuesday evening. And they'll take place in, again, usually one of four centres, so it'll either be Bristol, London, Leeds or, or Coventry, depending on where the club is sort of based and the ease of, of getting to um, the, the venue, etc. And then we will have, if there's any appeal, uh, the player's got 24 hours to appeal the sort of disciplinary panel's decision from receipt of the decision, and if there is any appeal, uh, then we will try and list the appeal on a Thursday in the same week so that by Thursday, the club knows exactly where they are in relation to player availability, selection of the team and all that stuff. So. And with the sighting commissioner, how useful is it for them to get access to, and eventually the panel, you know, presuming there is an incident that requires more investigation, you know, where they're, how useful is it in them sighting or, or seeing an incident of foul play? You know, how useful is the, is the video evidence? Also, you know, what other powers do they have to speak to the players or other officials yeah. um, after the match? So the citing officer is really a sort of integral part of the process. Um, and this ensures that the sort of integrity and the image of the game is sort of consistently sort of upheld and it's, um, you know, maintains that sort of high, high sort of reputation. And the citing commissioner will speak to um, all the match officials if he wishes to sort of following the following the match about any incidents that he's um, he's noted that he wants to have a look at he will um, he can speak to the television match official 
the team managers and you'll ask them if they have any particular issues that they want him to specifically or her specifically have a look at. Uh, and he, they, they're usually given four hours to um, bring any matters to the sighting commissioner's sort of attention. But in any event, the sighting commissioner will uh, obtain a, um, a DVD of the match and any other angles that he has obtained from the truck that perhaps weren't broadcast but that the outside broadcaster can provide him with of an incident. And he takes those away and then he subsequently reviews the game again with the extra angles and the whole match footage and with any issues that we've referred in from our team or you know we've heard about in from a whole variety of sort of sources uh, and he will determine whether or not there should be any action taken against any player um, for any sort of act of illegal and or foul play under IRB law 10-4. And what characteristics do you look for in a sighting commissioner? How do you go about recruiting them as I said, what characteristics do you think you know, this guy's going to make a very good or lady's going to make a very good so sighting commissioner? In, in the lead up to the last season, so 13-14 season, we uh, for the first time had a, uh, a sort of open sort of recruitment campaign for sort of sighting commissioners. So we drafted up a sort of detailed sort of job spec as to the sort of qualities that we'd be looking for sort of in a sighting commissioner. You know, somebody who has, you know, um, being involved in the game at the sort of the sort of highest levels, either officiating, playing, administration, etc. Somebody who really knows their way around the game, around the laws of the game, etc. Uh, and we advertised the job on the RFU website, and we um, sent it out to as many stakeholders as we could think of. Um, we then had a number of applications for the post, the CV, and sort of covering letter, and then the, we did a sift, and we invited in a number of people for the sort of interview process. We sent them an, in, an entire match um, and a match analysis form and citing documentation. And the, 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 uh, their, their aim was to review the game, complete the uh, citing review form, um, and if they were going to cite a player for any incident, to then actually then draw up the citing documentation as well, explaining what it was, why, why was it the offence, what level it's at, etc. And then what we also did, we sent them ten separate clips of incidents sort of across the, the game and the world game, and they had to review those. And then in the interview process, they had to talk the panel through what the foul play was, what they would have done, etc. So it was a really sort of in-depth review. And then we were, we were very lucky, and we ended up recruiting five new sort of very high-caliber people taking the pool up to 19 then. Fantastic. And so, once the sighting commissioner has filed their report, presuming in our scenario there's been a red card offence, yep. what's the next step? So, similar to what I explained earlier in relation to the red card, really. So, um, we get the sighting officer's report, say it's a Saturday um, afternoon kickoff, we will have it at the very latest by Sunday afternoon. In reality, we'll know much earlier yep. because they'll know there's something that they want to deal with in particular. So usually by Saturday evening we've got an idea as to what you know may may or may not be cited. Uh, we will have a look at it ourselves to you know just satisfy ourselves in um, our own minds that this is something which passes the red card threshold. Uh, the club will then be notified if they haven't already been notified by the citing commissioner sort of earlier. 
um, that there has been a sighting and um, and again we'll progress to getting the papers out, hearing bundle, clips, charge, all that sort of stuff, ready for a Tuesday hearing. If it's a level one or a sighting or sighting mission warning, um, then I will tend to um, issue that on Monday or Tuesday earlier in the week because that's, as I say, that doesn't require the attendance of the hearing. And when there's a, so can you talk me through the panel makeup? Who, ma who makes up the panel and how does that process work? So at national level, we have at the moment approximately 68 panel members. Um, many of those are legally qualified. And we, so we have a legally qualified chairman and then generally two other panel members. Um, we, they come from a range of backgrounds. They could be sort of ex-players, ex, um, ex-rugby administrators, um, ex-referees, etc. But that, that's the main thing for us in terms of our sort of panels, it's having people who can be absolutely um, fair and courteous during the sort of hearing process um, and also have that real in-depth sort of knowledge of the game and understanding of the laws of the game. And how did you, re you've recently gone through a recruitment process, how do you go for that recruitment process? So again, we, um, so Sir James Ingmans is the head of judiciary and so he's, um, has oversight of obviously who's recruited onto the panels and um, and how the panel makeup works and so there was an open recruitment campaign and James and Rebecca Morgan who's the judicial secretary um, effectively did a sift through sort of CV and sort of covering letter uh, and then a number of appointments were made onto the onto the national panels and then we meet with all the panel members. I think it's about sort of two or three times a year in terms of training sessions and getting them all together and um, running through things that have happened in the year and you know either within RFU discipline or within perhaps other disciplinary processes across sort of world rugby and review those and review clips and incidents and um, and just constantly strive to get you know more and more consistency and sort of improvements in the process as we go along. And just to be clear, that judicial function. So Rebecca's in-house as the secretary. Judicial secretary. The judicial yes. secretary. But Sir James is independent. He's independent. And the All our panel members are independent of the RFU. And one of the things that surprised me, which I think was quite impressive, that none of the panel members are paid. No. They do it so voluntarily. They, they all do it voluntarily for the love of the game. Um, obviously we'll pay any sort of travel expenses, etc. But there's no fee paid for, um, for panel members for sitting on rugby disciplinary cases. And so then during the panel, player and I presume an official from the team will arrive at the hearing, you've got the chair, panel members, um, someone representing the RFU. Can you just quickly run through sure. what happens? So the, the normal makeup is we have a legally qualified chairman, two panel members, a panel of three, um, sometimes it could just be a single judicial officer dealing with the case you know, on their own, but we tend to always try and have a, a, a panel um, where possible. Uh, the set an on-field matter involving a player, the player will attend, and um, more often than not he'll be with, um, say, his team manager or maybe director of rugby or perhaps chairman of the club who'll come down to represent them. On occasion, some players may be represented by, by a lawyer, if they, you know, if they so if they so choose to do that, 
Um, the RFU will be present and on hand to answer any questions that the sort of panel have. But for on-field stuff, from more of a sort of presentation point of view, um, in just you know presenting the case to the panel and saying, here's the footage, here's the charge sheet, um, and um, and then really the panel's there then to uh, put the charge to the player, ascertain what the player's pleased with the charges, and to work through the methodology set out in RFU Regulation 19 in terms of relevant sort of entry point, etc., for the offence, aggravating, mitigating factors, and then to determine what the final sanction is in terms of weeks. Um, and that sanction will then have sort of worldwide application under World Rugby um, core principles. And if someone was looking to become a disciplinary panel member, <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about being courteous, understanding the, the rules of the game. Fairness. Fairness. Yeah. What else would you recommend for them? You know, if they were aspiring to do that, what really want to input into the game? It sounds like you've, you know you're not short of people willing to volunteer to, to assist in that capacity. We're not we're not short of people, but at the same time, um, you know, it's fantastic that we're in that position of having people who are who want to be involved in sort of rugby disciplinary work and um, you know prepared to give up, and and lots of these you know. Um, Lots of our panel members give up lots of time in relation to sort of reading disciplinary case papers and obviously attendance at hearings and all the rest of it. And um, more often than not, the panels sort of take place sort of after hours as well. So you know sometimes it can be sort of quite a late finish, etc. So you know, so it's it's great that people sort of want to be sort of involved in the system. But as I said earlier, the main thing for us is just about ensuring that we get the right people on the panels, they understand the sport, they have an instinct in relation to what they're looking at, you know, within a flash, you know, was that a red card? They have an instinct as to whether or not they accept what they're being told in relation to um, you know, either the RFU or the sort of player's case in relation to um, the sort of on-field sort of act. Um, and that's the main thing, really, really knowing their way around the sort of laws of the game uh, and just a general sort of knowledge of the game, really, is the, is the, are the main things that we're looking for. Um, and how often are the uh, panel members uh, essentially assessed or recycled? How's that? What's the, what's the terms of their... So they are on a one-year contract, um, effectively, to sort of provide... Same sizing commission, it's on a sort of one-year contract to sort of provide services. Um, some of the um, perhaps older, not old in age, but older panel members who've been around um, in the system longer may well be on a sort of two-year sort of type sort of contract or whatever. But it tends to be pretty short type contracts to allow that flexibility and assessment, yeah. and you know, to make sure you can hit, you know, you're achieving your objectives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you, welcome. Today. Thank you Fantastic. Sure. Real no, you're very welcome. Anytime. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. I'd just like to thank the RFU, and in particular Gerard and his team, for taking their time out of their busy schedule with the Rugby World Cup taking place to discuss their disciplinary procedures and their structures. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, for all your latest sports law updates and information, you can go to lawinsport.com, follow us on Twitter, at lawinsport. Go to our YouTube channel, follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud, and you can also go to the website to sign up for our weekly email. It's on the right-hand side of the page. Well, thanks for tuning in, and hopefully see you all soon.